When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Happy New Year, everybody. It's the first week of the 2024 sports calendar, and even though football season may be over, and even though our bet of blue Gatorade at the Super Bowl dunking Andy Reid did not cash, we are still giving you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you head to Bet Online Sportsbook with the link in the description to this episode and use our promo code BLEAVE. Use that 50% welcome bonus to bet on basketball. Maybe you're into the pro, maybe you're into the college, maybe you're into Caitlin Clark setting the all-time scoring record in the history of college basketball. However you choose to bet, 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping on into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, another one of our 1,372 episodes worth of the Take It Easy podcast. My name's Kyle. Welcome in, everybody. I hope you all are having a fantabulous Monday, February 26th, if that's when you're listening, because that's the date according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. Apologies for a little bit of a delay on our Monday podcast this week. I was uh, driving back from my vacation and my car broke down. So uh, no time Sunday to knock out our podcast. We're here Monday morning, just like the old days of Take It Easy, like during the pandemic years of three and four years ago, even going back to 2019 when I was a freshman in college waking up at 5.30 every morning to go out and talk into a podcast microphone for just a 45-minute throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. You know, the early repetitions of this podcast. Back in the, in the first couple hundred of the 1,373 episodes we've done of the show, that was kind of our vibe back then. And uh, five years later, we are now extremely confident, extremely excellent podcasters, and we appreciate all of you supporting us from the first day or the 1,373rd podcast. We are so greatly appreciative of all your continued support. It's kind of funny to think about just how many podcasts we've done. Because I remember when it was uh, the way that Believe has our podcast 
RSS feed setup is that you can only see the first 600 episodes, but if you want to go back and find the earliest episodes we did, you can go to the Believe website, and they have all 1,373 episodes available for your viewing pleasure, if you so choose. But what's so interesting, I think, is that after all the podcasts we've done, all the years of Getting up at 5.30 a.m., doing 45-minute shows, doing hour-and-a-half shows, doing shows over two hours, having guests, having famous people, having conversations, having podcasts by ourselves, all those episodes over the years, and yet, like, I come back to sitting down on a Monday morning, turning on the microphones and recording, and I'm like, this was exactly what we were doing four years ago. Sure, it sounds different and looks different and all that stuff, but sitting down, throwing on the microphone and recording is what we've been doing for four and a half years on this podcast, and it makes me feel really special just because I know that I love this. Otherwise, we wouldn't continue to come back here, sit down and record for 40 minutes at a time like we're doing today on February 26, 2024, and like we were doing on September 17th. 2019 at least I presume that was a weekday it's just kind of interesting to stop and think about that but sorry that I was a little bit late to get this podcast out here today I know a lot of people I I, this gave me enough time to watch the Monday shows before I record a podcast because normally we do our NFL Monday podcast for the last five months and it publishes at midnight and we record it in between the First two uh, blocks of NFL football, but before Sunday night football, so we don't usually react to Sunday night football or get a chance to react to what other shows are talking about. And I was watching all the, uh, the, the daytime programming, or at least a, a little bit of daytime programming when I woke up and before we came to throw the microphones on here. And a lot of people were just like, well, this weekend in sports was pretty boring, so let's talk about Cam Newton beating the shit out of four people who tried to jump him at some sort of event in Atlanta. That seems to be the sports story of the day, that people are skipping past the let's get invested in college basketball storylines, which we'll do later this week with Razor Rosenthal. I was out on vacation, didn't get a chance to chat with Razor last week. Um, you know, people are skipping the college basketball storylines. The NBA is coming back from the all-star break and apparently the heat and the Pelicans got into a huge fight. Cause I was busy on Friday night and then on Saturday morning was starting the drive up from, from Southern California to Northern California. I just completely missed altogether the Miami heat New Orleans Pelicans fight. Like I got back in town on Sunday, looked up and was like, Oh, Hey, a bunch of Miami heat players got suspended for, the game in Sacramento tonight, which I'm going to be working from the uh, from Sacramento for the Kings, which is obviously my day job. And I, I saw that and I was like, oh, apparently there was a giant fight in the NBA that I didn't even know about. And we're the people who are supposed to come in and love NBA fights. But it seems like everyone has kind of jumped ship on a lot of these NBA and college basketball storylines and is going straight to Cam Newton beating the shit out of uh, a bunch of people who tried to jump him. And I got... Not a lot to add to that, but it was kind of funny to see that fight juxtaposed with the Heat-Pelicans fight that I knew nothing about, but then came into Monday, and I was like, yes, I absolutely... That was way more viral. Cam Newton beating up those kids with a billion views across all social platforms. That was way more viral than anything that went on in the sports weekend. And so I understand why every sports show is turning to, well, the the NFL season is done. Kansas City's back-to-back champions. Wash our hands of football. Now let's go into Cam Newton beating people up. And yay, now we're here on Monday. 
So the story I wanted to do today it revolves around the NBA and one team in particular that I am interested in, the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder, who are currently the third youngest team in the NBA, the number two seed in the Western Conference at our time of recording. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, they're number one or number three because the top four teams in the West are all very close to each other. Like I think the Clippers have a... The, the Clippers are more games back of the number one seed than the Nuggets, but they're the three seed based on percentages right now, and there's like an uneven number of games, and the teams are so closely together, one through four, that just even fractions of percentage points are changing the standings. But as of the time we're recording this, the Thunder are a half game behind the Minnesota Timberwolves for the number one seed in the Western Conference. They are 40-17. and 17. This is the first time they're going to get back to the playoffs since the bubble season of 2020. And Oklahoma City is in this unique position where they are the youngest playoff team in the NBA by a significant amount, by the way, because I have the list of the preseason top 10 youngest teams in the NBA. The only one who's in a top six spot right now of the top 10 is Oklahoma City. Like the rest of the, the 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 rest of the top ten are not currently qualified for top six positions in either conference. Here's the list of the youngest teams from the preseason in order. Number one, Portland out of the playoffs. Two, San Antonio out of the playoffs. Oklahoma City, two seed, is the third youngest team. Orlando Magic are a play-in team right now. Charlotte out of the playoffs. Brooklyn Nets out of the playoffs, Utah Jazz out of the playoffs, Pistons out of the playoffs, Pacers, I believe, play-in team right now, although they may jump to six because uh, them and Miami are right next close to each other. And then number 10 is the Memphis Grizzlies, who last year were the youngest playoff team in the sport and had the number two seed, which we'll get to them in a little bit once we talk about the Thunder. But this year, thanks to a cataclysmic number of injuries and John Morant 25-game suspension before another cataclysmic John Morant injury, they are out of the playoffs completely. So you take the, the 10 youngest teams in the NBA, Oklahoma City is not just the best of the young teams in the NBA. Oklahoma City is the only one in the sport who is in the top 12 in the sport right now. And obviously, it's not the most surprising thing to say young teams in the NBA are bad. That's usually what rebuilding teams do. They trade off young players in exchange for draft picks and work to develop a lot of those draft picks. If I tell you that, hey, the youngest team in the NBA is the San Antonio Spurs, you would not be surprised because the San Antonio Spurs have missed the playoffs for four consecutive seasons. They've accumulated a lot of draft picks. Oklahoma City is famous for being the team that has a ridiculous treasure trove of draft picks that they just keep kicking down the can till next year. I remember at one point people were saying like the Pel the Thunder will have 27 total draft picks over a two-year span, and it's incredibly complicated to figure out who has what draft picks. It's just so freaking hard to figure out how draft picks will parlay and do these things and whatever. But Oklahoma City presently has, at some point, occupied 
the Clippers' first-round pick this year, the Utah Jazz's first-round pick this year, the Detroit Pistons' first-round pick this year as part of the Alperin Shengun trade. They still hold the Houston Rockets' pick this year, but it's weird because um, if the Rockets end up outside of the top four in the draft lottery, then uh, Oklahoma City gets that pick, but then they give up another one of the picks because they get the most favorable of the picks. Uh, Their future pick is up for... uh, pick swap right now they held the wizards pick as a byproduct of the russell westbrook trade uh they hold the the wizards future first round pick at some point which i believe now has been traded to the uh new york knicks as part of the deal that got oklahoma city i want to say a top draft pick last year um You go to 2025, the Thunder hold their own draft pick, the 76ers pick, which is top six protected, but they'll probably get that draft pick at some point. They hold the Clippers pick swap. They hold the Miami Heat's first round pick lottery protected. They hold the Rockets first round pick top 10 protected and the right to swap picks on their own with the Clippers, as I mentioned earlier. So that's six draft picks that have something to do with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, the Thunder hold the Clippers pick with the right to swap picks. They held the Thunder, the Rockets pick with a right to swap picks. Uh, then we go to 2027. They hold the Clippers first round pick. They hold the Nuggets first round pick with an option to swap, and they can swap picks with uh, the Clippers on their own pick. So there's a pick swap in there. 2028, they have the right to swap picks with the Dallas Mavericks. 2029, they hold the Nuggets first round pick and their own first round pick, and they have their own picks into perpetuity through 2031. Like, there's just a ton of draft picks that the Oklahoma City Thunder have influence over, and these rights to swap picks with three or four different teams means there's a good chance that even if they don't get to use multiple picks, the picks that they do use are going to be closer to the top of the draft, which makes them more valuable for the Thunder as a trade piece when they do decide to add a true third all-star to that team via trade. More on that later, as I mentioned a second ago, more on that later, and more on the Thunder being the youngest, or the Memphis Grizzlies last year being a precedent for what the Oklahoma City Thunder are going through right now. But in the present, the Oklahoma City Thunder are the only team, and I know that sometimes records can be deceptive in the NBA, especially in the regular season. Regular season records very often do not translate into playoff successes. Case in point, the Cleveland Cavaliers were a top three team last year in net rating and got to the playoffs and got smoked out the building by the Knicks because their offense completely vanished in the playoffs. But the regular season Oklahoma City Thunder have the second highest SRS ranking in the NBA, which is a stat that Basketball Reference does that we constantly cite on this podcast and on um, our NFL shows. SRS ranking is if you had the Thunder play a league average opponent, perfectly league average, on a neutral court, what would the point spread in that game be? For the Thunder, they would be eight-point favorites against a league average team on a neutral court. That's the second best mark in the NBA. They have the second best net rating in the NBA at plus 8.1 points per 100 possessions. Their expected win-loss record is actually 41.4 and 15.6, which is second best in the NBA. And they're the only team in the NBA that has a top four offensive rating and defensive rating Oklahoma Oklahoma City 
is that team. They are that good. Even the Boston Celtics, who are the number one team in the sport, according to net rating and SRS and expected win-loss record, the Boston Celtics are number one in offensive rating and fifth in defensive rating, which is top five in both, but the Thunder are the only team that is top four in both, which in the modern NBA does not necessarily correlate with your likelihood of success because the more like the more the bigger point that determines your likelihood of success in the playoffs is do you have one of the three best players in the NBA and what is the talent pool that you have surrounded them with case in point Denver Nuggets won the championship last year despite having the 15th best defensive rating in the sport and we told you last year in the regular season that the Denver Nuggets were the team that probably would win the championship because they would run through the Western Conference and that guaranteed them a spot in the NBA Finals. Which brings us to this year's Oklahoma City team, which is this. I think Oklahoma City is good enough to win the NBA Finals this year. But there is very little precedent for a team as young as Oklahoma City to make it to the NBA Finals because historically you go through a stage of losing in the playoffs where your young superstar learns and grows into becoming a French, an MVP and a player who will be the best player on the team that makes it to the finals. Or, you know, having a top three player on your team means that you will be a top three team in the playoffs. And historically, your teams that are incredibly young that have a rising superstar usually have to go through some level of losing to get there. Think about the the Milwaukee Bucks from years ago. The Bucks got bounced in the first round multiple years in a row. The best team they had with 24-year-old Giannis Antetokounmpo winning his first MVP was one of the youngest rosters in the NBA. That team ended up losing in the conference finals after going up 2-0 to Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors. And then the following year lost to the Miami Heat in the second round in the bubble when they had the number one seed. And then they went on to win the championship. It took five years of playoff runs before Milwaukee finally made it to the finals and won the NBA finals. Denver Nuggets first made the playoffs as an incredi- as one of the youngest teams in the NBA to ever make the playoffs. 2018-2019 Nuggets with a 24-year-old Nikola Jokic, 23-year-old Jamal Murray, and I believe Gary Harris at 25 years old was their third best player. And oh, by the way, they had 21-year-old Michael Porter Jr. coming off the bench on that team. That Nuggets team lost in the second round of the playoffs in seven games, came within one game of the conference finals, in 2020 made the conference finals against the Lakers in the bubble, then lost in the second round, then lost in the first round, then won the NBA Finals. And the reason they lost in those rounds of the playoffs was because Jamal Murray tore his ACL and missed two playoff runs. And the reason they lost in the first round was because I believe Facundo Campazzo and Austin Rivers were their starting guards on the 2022 Nuggets when Jokic carried them to the sixth seed. When they would have been a lottery team if not for Jokic carrying their ass to the first round of the playoffs. But Denver went through five years from when Jokic was 24 and they first made the playoffs 
to Jokic being 28 and winning a championship. Same thing with Giannis. They were 24 when they made it to the conference finals and Giannis won his first MVP. Took him three more years to win the championship. This year is interesting for Oklahoma City because Shea Gilgis-Alexander is the 23-year-old who is about to become a league MVP. Maybe not this year, but will in the near future compete with Luka for the MVPs uh, once you have Embiid and Giannis and Jokic still be very good but no longer be in the peak of their physical primes while Luka, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and the new generation kind of enters their physical prime and wins the MVPs because Jokic and Giannis and Embiid won't be able to give it the full 82 in the way that they have over previous years. In the same way that like Steph Curry is very, very good, best player on a team that won multiple championships and also hasn't won an MVP in eight years. That's kind of the, the territory that Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid are going to soon occupy when and, and Luka, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, guys like that are going to take the mantle and win the MVPs for four to five years in their generation. But what I think is so interesting about Shea Gilgis Alexander is that he is on a team where he is technically the oldest of their core players. Like, I'm looking at the Oklahoma City Thunder roster at this point, and Shea Gilgis Alexander, who is currently 25 years old, averaging 31.2 points a game, leading the league in steals, of averaging six rebounds, seven assists, has one of the best field goal percentages from the point guard position in the sport. Second in the MVP right now, thanks to um, Joel Embiid no longer qualifying for it, because as we mentioned before, NBA PER rankings are usually the best eye test you're going to find in the NBA. Um, PER rankings determine who is the best player in the sport. Um... PER rankings are the best stat that best quantifies the eye test. You're most likely to have quantifiable metrics around the eye test with PER rankings than anything else. And right now, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, one of three players with over 30 in the efficiency rating numbers, and Joel Embiid is one of the three, and he can't win MVP. So Shea Gilgis-Alexander is your second place MVP finalist right now. Shea Gilgis Alexander is technically the old guy on this team because every single one of their rotational players, of the players who are averaging more than 18 minutes per game on the Oklahoma City Thunder, there's there's seven players who are averaging more than 18 minutes per game on the Thunder. Shea Gilgis Alexander at 25 is the oldest, the oldest of the group. It's him, 22-year-old Jalen Williams, without a Y, because again, there's multiple Jalen Williamses. There's Jalen Williams, Chet Holmgren, 24-year-old Lou Dort, which is just bananas that Lou Dort is only 24 years old. That dude feels like he's been on the Thunder for seven years. It's wild that Lou Dort is only 24 years old. But you have 24-year-old Lou Dort, 21-year-old Josh Giddy, which, oh boy, let's look up his Wikipedia page and see how his season is going. 20-year-old Kaysen Wallace, 24-year-old Isaiah Joe, and if we want to keep going down the list to the next guy, we have Aaron Wiggins, 25 years old, the same age as Shea Gilgis-Alexander. 
And I know that the Thunder came in and traded for Gordon Hayward, but Gordon Hayward been hurt. Gordon Hayward's only played three games for them. It was kind of a wasted trade for Oklahoma City to bring in Gordon Hayward because he's not going to make the rotation. That's how good this Oklahoma City team is. Gordon Hayward, former NBA All-Star, is not going to make the rotation on this Thunder team that has a bunch of dudes that are 25 years old or younger. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is entering his physical prime right about now, and he's about to start winning some MVP. He's going to have a bunch of top three finishes in the MVP. It's not a guarantee that he's going to win one, but he's going to have a bunch of top three finishes in the MVP, the same way that Luka already has a handful of top five finishes in the MVP. Um, It looks like Tyrese Halliburton is going to be one of those guys in this generation who starts competing for MVPs because Halliburton right now. So the way that the way that we quantify this, and I've done it a number of ways before like this, is that each NBA generation is about five years in length. It's just based on the physical primes of these basketball players about five years worth of draft picks make up a generation. And the current generation right now consists around five superstar players. It's Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, and Devin Booker. Those five players are the best of the best of their generation, all happen to be in their physical prime, all happen to to play unique positions for the most part too. I mean, I know Jokic and Embiid are both centers and we think of Giannis as a super skilled five, Um, but it's interesting that they're all, except for Devin Booker, they are all super skilled fives, but yet they all do different things. It's interesting. It's just an interesting parallel there. So you have Jokic, Giannis, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, and Devin Booker. And then the next generation is kind of bridged by Jason Tatum. Tatum doesn't really fit in either generation right now, but he's kind of like the bridge. He's going to enter his prime right as Jokic, Giannis, Embiid start to exit their prime. And he's, he's been a player who has come within two games of winning a championship in the same way that Devin Booker has come within two games of winning a championship as the best player on it the best player on a team that came within two games of winning a championship in reality Devin Booker and Jason Tatum have had fairly comparable careers despite the fact of just how dramatically different the beginnings of their careers were Tatum his his rookie year was playing in game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals as the best or second best player on the Celtics meanwhile Devin Booker scored 70 points in a game that his team lost by double digits because of how crap the Phoenix Suns were when Devin Booker first got there Jokic, Giannis, Embiid, Devin Booker, and Anthony Davis. Devin Booker's been injured this year, so he doesn't qualify for the efficiency rating, but Davis, Jokic, Giannis, and and Embiid, the top four of this present generation, are currently four of the top six leaders in efficiency rating, which essentially means these are four of your six most valuable players in the NBA. By the way, if we go back to 2023, we have the the MVP final the the player efficiency numbers. Guess who's at the very top of the list? Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, 1 2 3 right up and down the list. And then Anthony Davis is uh not qualifying cuz I think he missed too many games to qualify for the uh, leaders in efficiency rating last year. Then you go to 2022. What do you find? You have Nikola Jokic, 
Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid. One, two, three, back to back to back. 2021, Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, then Steph Curry and Kawhi, who were again, you know, exiting their primes around that time. Joel Embiid didn't qualify that year, but Joel Embiid was obviously at the top of that list to go to 2020, and you kind of find a mixed bag of people here. You have Giannis, you have Harden, you have baby Luka, and then you have Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard, who's also in his prime at this point. So again, you have kind of a mixed bag of generations in 2020, which was a bit of the transition period into the new generation. And right now, you're starting to see that transition into the new generation because... Like I said, four of the top six players in efficiency rating are all from this current generation. But then you have number three, Shea Gilgis Alexander, number five, Luca, number seven, Tyrese Halliburton, number eight, Demonis Sabonis, who is honestly part of the present generation. We just don't think of Demonis Sabonis as that because of him playing in Sacramento. And then number nine, Donovan Mitchell. So you have. All players who are within the age ranges of 24 to 29 years old. All players, presumably in their physical prime, all from within a couple generations of each other. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Luka Doncic, Tyrese Halliburton, those are the players who are going to begin competing and winning these MVPs as we move into the next generation. What I think is so interesting about the Thunder is that Shea Gilgis-Alexander might be one of the best of the bunch, and Luka Doncic has been taken out of a lot of these playoff conversations because of how inept the Dallas organization is. Dallas has pissed away draft capital year after year after year trying to build around Luka. They traded multiple first-round picks and players for Kristaps Porzingis. Did not work out the way that they hoped. Traded Kristaps Porzingis... Uh, for pennies on the dollar, they got Dinwiddie and Bertons, made a desperate play to trade for Kyrie Irving, had a bad season, let Jalen Brunson walk in free agency before that. So they traded two first round picks for Kristaps Porzingis, let an all-star in Jalen Brunson walk for nothing. They didn't even like trade him before the end or sign and trade or get anything. They just let him walk out the door getting zero value for an all-star, traded two first-round picks for Porzingis, who they then traded for pennies on the dollar by getting Dinwiddie and Bertans back, even though they didn't get any draft picks out of the Porzingis trade. Then they traded a first-round pick for Kyrie Irving, and then they traded a first-round pick to move off of Grant Williams for a player who I don't even think is better than Grant Williams. I don't think P.J. Washington is better than Grant Williams. We said this during the trade deadline show that we did. I don't even think they got the better player in the trade. (laughs) They just gave up a first-round pick swap for the ability to get off of Grant Williams. So the Mavericks have made so many mistakes in evaluation and surrounding Luka Doncic that they've essentially taken this 24-year-old MVP caliber player out of the top of the playoff race despite the fact that they made it to the conference finals just two years ago. They've gotten exponentially worse. And Luka has to go through his losing right now with a team that's crappy and might not be able to build a winner around him in the time that he is under contract with Dallas. Like, with Denver, I could explain away them losing in the second and first round, chalk it up to Jamal Murray had a torn ACL and missed two playoff runs. With Dallas, Dallas is looking like, hey, they're just not going to be able to compete in Luka Doncic's window. 
But I say all of this to say, if Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Luka Doncic, and Tyrese Halliburton are the future stars of the NBA as it stands right now, and if all of those teams... Indiana's, you know, a couple years away from being able to compete. They're trying right now by trading for Siakam, but Indiana's timeline is a couple years away. Dallas has failed to support Luka Doncic. Oklahoma City is the team that has an MVP caliber player, and that MVP caliber player has one of the best offensive teams in the NBA this season, and they're, again, their only team in the NBA top four in offensive and defensive rating. So what is the precedent for a team like Oklahoma City making a deep run in the playoffs? And last year when the Memphis Grizzlies were going on their run as the number two seed, Aaron Gleeman of, uh, Aaron Gleeman at Bleacher, or I'm sorry, at The Athletic, did a piece on the Memphis Grizzlies, who were one of the youngest teams to ever make a deep playoff run. And what Gleeman was able to figure out is that there are six teams in the last 25 years of NBA history. So since the 1999-2000 season, it's technically 24 years, last 24 years of NBA basketball, there have been six teams that had a winning percentage above 600 that were also one of the five youngest teams in the NBA. The Memphis Grizzlies of two years ago, which if you remember, that was the Grizzlies team that made it to the second round of the playoffs, lost to the Warriors, and then the Warriors went on to win the championship. 2022 Memphis was one of the five youngest teams in the NBA as the number two seed in the West. You see what's happened to Memphis now? It's... Hard to say whether that's a success or a failure because, again, they just have a cataclysmic number of injuries this year. Like, John Morant got suspended at the end of last year and they lost to the Lakers. And then they moved on from Dylan Brooks. They made all these moves to try and build a short-term winner around their three-star players who are all under 24 years old. And this year it all fell apart because of a cataclysmic number of injuries. So I'm, like, willing to put a pin in the Grizzlies thing and say, let's wait and see how this turns out. So after that you have... The 2019 Nuggets, who we talked about earlier, 24-year-old Jokic, 23-year-old Jamal Murray, 25-year-old Gary Harris, and 21-year-old Michael Porter Jr. This was the first year they made the playoffs. They were the number two seed in the West, and they lost in the second round of the playoffs to the Portland Trailblazers. CJ McCollum had a crazy Game 7 to beat them in Denver. Portland went to the conference finals, got swept by the Warriors. So you had that run by the Nuggets. You have the 2018 Celtics, which if you remember was the year that they had Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward hurt, and it was scary Terry Rozier, a rookie Jason Tatum, a second-year Jalen Brown. That was kind of the, the year that the Celtics were doing the dual, the dual timelines thing where they had Isaiah Thomas and they had... Uh, the year before, they had Isaiah Thomas, and they traded him for Kyrie Irving, but they also had rookie Jason Tatum and second-year Jalen Brown, and Terry Rozier took over for Kyrie and had that crazy, scary Terry playoff run. And they came within one game of the finals and then lost to the Cavs and probably should have gone to the finals that year and then gotten smoked out the building by the best Warriors team of the Warriors dynasty. Then you have the 
2008-2009 Portland Trailblazers of Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Travis Outlaw. I think Brandon Roy's injuries kind of were the reason why they didn't build off of that playoff run the year that they were incredibly young. And the last two that you have are the Oklahoma City Thunder of Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. One of the most anomaly teams in the history of the NBA because no NBA team has ever drafted three MVP players in three consecutive drafts. Just no one has ever hit like that in the NBA draft ever. Ever been able to identify three consecutive generational MVPs in three consecutive drafts. It just never, ever happens like that. And so the Thunder now have one MVP player on their team, and that one MVP player is finally surrounded by competence. Because last year, the only reason the Oklahoma City Thunder were not a top-of-the-lottery team like they were the previous two seasons was because Shea Gilgis-Alexander was playing all-NBA first-team point guard basketball. It's the only reason they even came within one game of the playoffs last year. The rest of that team was lottery caliber, going to the lottery, because they were just so goddamn young. Like, these were rookie Jalen Williams, multiple Jalen Williams, rookie Jalen Williams, second-year Giddy, no Holmgren, because Holmgren broke his foot before the season ever began. And then you got to this year, and you saw the development of Jalen Williams. You saw Chet Holmgren, a rookie of the year caliber player, who they knew was going to be an all-star caliber center, come in and have an immediate impact as a rookie, even though it's his second year in the league. They added a former number two overall pick. Jalen Williams developed into a true number three option. Oklahoma City now has a plethora of riches who have at least played games together in the NBA. And the reason Holmgren jumps in and has an immediate impact is because Holmgren's that special dude. Like, Holmgren was probably should have been the number one pick in the NBA draft, and that's a draft that has Paolo Bancaro, who just made the all-star team in the Eastern Conference. Like, Chet Holmgren, because of his physical, because of his build and his body type, was the, they told you he was the number one prospect in his high school class, number one prospect going into college, and then after college, they told you he was the number one prospect in the NBA draft. And some people were concerned about whether he would be bulky enough to handle the weight of the NBA, whether injuries would be a concern. And my philosophy with that was always like, in the modern day of NBA strength programs, you should be able to have a player like that be able to add 30 pounds like it's nothing if that's what you think is best for that player. Like, these are world-class strength programs in every single NBA organization. Chet Holmgren is going to be fine physically because they know, they, they I trust that the team that gets him will be able to add weight with a strength program and have a vision for how to build him into a successful player. And fortunately, he went to one of the most well-run organizations in all of the NBA that had a vision and plan for him such that they could drop him in this season and he'd have an immediate impact that takes the Oklahoma City Thunder from a team that almost made the playoffs single-handedly being carried by Shea Gilgis-Alexander, because again, the rest of that team was terrible last year, terrible last year, to now a team that is top four in the in the, in the NBA in offense and defensive rating. And this is the point where I look at it and say, here's where the Thunder will probably fall apart in the playoffs. Entire team is young. 
team who is 24 years old average age rarely ever gets the chance to make the deep run in the playoff. Even the teams that we just mentioned right now on the list, 2022 Grizzlies made it to the second round of the playoffs and lost to the Golden State Warriors who eventually won the championship. And remember, these are the six teams of the last 24 years who had over a 600 winning percentage. That's not to say like, oh, the youngest teams in the NBA who made the playoffs. No, these are the youngest teams in the NBA who happen to be of the top five caliber in the NBA. Because on average every year, about five to seven teams win over 60% of their games. So the Memphis Grizzlies of 2022, that Memphis Grizzlies team ended up that Memphis Grizzlies team ended up winning so to win 54 to win over 60% 6 to win over 60% of your games you would have to win 49 games in a season. So these are the 50 plus win teams that also happen to be of the top 5 youngest in the NBA cuz remember about five to seven teams win 50 games every year in the NBA. Last year was exceptional because the West all beat each other up, and there was only, I think, one 50-win team in the West, or two 50-win teams in the West last year. It was the Grizzlies and the, uh, it was the Grizzlies and the Nuggets, who obviously ended up winning the championship. But that Nuggets team that was the number two seed in the Western, Con- or no, the number, hmm, the number one seed in the Western Conference, Denver Nuggets, ended up losing in the second round of the playoffs against Portland. The Memphis Grizzlies, who were the number two seed in the Western Conference, lost in the second round to the three-seeded Golden State Warriors. The Portland Trailblazers of 2008-2009 won 54 games and lost in the first round against the Houston Rockets in the four versus five series. I believe that was a Yao Ming Rockets team, but they lost in the first round. And then of course, injuries kind of derailed them from there, but they, they lost in the first round with 54 wins in the regular season. The 2018 Boston Celtics made it to the conference finals. The 2011 Oklahoma city thunder made it to the conference finals. But if you remember the 2018 Celtics, the year prior, made this incredibly crazy leap to get to the conference finals from missing the playoffs because Isaiah Thomas had one of the most remarkable season turnarounds in the history of the NBA, going from a guy who had been a fringe all-star to top five in the sport, and he's six feet tall, and he's just single-handedly carrying the Celtics to the conference finals with Avery Bradley as his second-best player. And the year before for Oklahoma City, they won. Uh, let me get the exact number for you here. Oklahoma City, remember, uh, of the six teams who have won 60% of their games in a single NBA season while also being one of the youngest teams in the NBA, that Oklahoma City team with Durant, Westbrook, and Harden, even in 2010, won 50 games and lost in the first round to the Lakers, and then came back the next year and made it to the conference finals after winning 55 games. 
and then the following year won over 70% of their games, and that was the year that they went to the NBA Finals. But that team is so exceptional because, again, no team has ever drafted three MVPs in three consecutive drafts. That team is just so ridiculously exceptional. But even they lost in the first round during their first run where they won 60% of their games. So Oklahoma City is in this unique space where they are going to be a top four seed in the Western Conference without question. This year's Thunder team. And they have the second best player as of right now who's going to be in the playoffs. I don't know what's going to happen with Joel Embiid, but based on regular season performance, they have the second best player in the regular season in the NBA. And I'm so curious to see what happens with this Thunder team and who they match up with in the playoffs. Because if they get Phoenix... I think they can knock Phoenix out in the first round. They can they, Devin Booker, who is one of the five stars of the last generation of the current generation, the generation that's a bit older than Shea Gilgis Alexander. Devin Booker, who's supposed to be the best player on the Suns team that's supposed to compete for the championship this year, Devin Booker might get bounced by the young guy in the first round. If they play Sacramento, love me Demonis Sabonis, love me De'Aaron Fox, I don't think Sacramento going to beat this Oklahoma City team in a seven-game series. And I'm watching this, this Sacramento team every single day. I just don't think they're going to be able to beat Oklahoma City in a seven-game series. If they get Dallas and we get Luka versus Shea, you're going to see what a competent organization versus a poorly run organization is going to look like. Because Dallas ain't got it like Oklahoma City got it right now. Even in the present, that doesn't even account for the fact that Dallas has given away all their draft picks and Oklahoma City still has access to their draft picks and more from other teams. But even in the short term, you're about to see what the difference between a well-run organization and a poorly run organization looks like. And if Oklahoma City can get to the second round of the playoffs, so curious to see who they match up with. Because if they can get Minnesota... Oklahoma City can beat this Minnesota team. I think this Phoenix team can beat this Minnesota team. I don't think Minnesota is is the team that's going to get it done in the playoffs. I just I don't I love Minnesota. I knew they'd be a great regular season team this year. I don't think Minnesota is going to make it beyond the second round of the playoffs. And the only reason they'd make it to the second round in the first place is because they wouldn't have to play one of the top five teams in the first round, being the Suns the Thunder, the Nuggets, and the Clippers. If they can avoid any of those teams in the first round of the playoffs, I think Minnesota's going to get to the second round. I don't think they'll beat any of those teams in the second round of the playoffs, but I do think Minnesota can get to the second round of the playoffs if they're the number one, two, or three seed and they don't have to play Phoenix or Denver or the Clippers or the Nuggets in the first, or the, the Thunder in the first round of the playoffs. But if the Thunder could get the the... Timberwolves in the second round of the playoffs and the Nuggets and Clippers would have to play each other in the semifinal instead of the conference final. I think the, I think the Thunder can go to the conference final this year. They can defy the expectation, defy the logic. And the reason that's going to be the case is they are such an exceptional team because of how many young players they have accumulated over the years and this meteoric rise of Shea Gilgis-Alexander that in reality, kind of reflects what happened a generation ago with Jokic. Where Jokic, at a certain point, went from backup center on the Nuggets to starting center on the Nuggets to the Nuggets and Michael Malone, and and I think it was Carnivorous at the point. 
I don't think that's his name, but I like calling him Arturus Carnivorous. They looked up and said, what if we built an offense around the point center? They had the vision to build an offense around Jokic and see what kind of skills and abilities Jokic could provide. And lo and behold, look at the results. 24-year-old Jokic won 56 games for the Denver Nuggets, and they made it within one game of the conference finals, despite the fact they had the fourth youngest team in the NBA. And this year's Thunder team that brought in Shea Gildas-Alexander, who was on the bench with the Clippers. He was not a he was a lottery pick, but he was the number 11 pick in the draft. Like a lot of teams did not build around Shea Gilgis-Alexander as a future superstar in the way that they were able to immediately identify with Luka Doncic. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is in this interesting position where he is the MVP caliber player. It has been a slow, tedious, monotonous six-year development for Shea Gilgis-Alexander going from two years with the Clippers or no, one year with the Clippers, to being traded to the Thunder, being the backup to Chris Paul during the bubble season, to now you're the starter on a team that has no intention of winning, for two seasons being truly, truly awful. By year five, he's putting up MVP caliber statistics, first team All-NBA statistics, on a team that is essentially a bottom-feeding lottery team, to now the vision is coming together. He is entering his physical prime. He is one of the three best players of this upcoming generation. He's currently one of the three best players in the NBA in the entire regular season. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander's team that spent three years losing and three years being pretty damn awful but accumulating dozens and dozens of draft picks with simultaneous tiny trades has now found a core of eight players all in their early 20s who are ready to be NBA contributors immediately for a playoff team. Jalen Williams, the non-Y Jalen Williams, is a legitimate find in the middle of the first round. He is their third best player. Giddy, not really going to talk about him, but he is a former number six pick in the draft. Isaiah Joe, value find. Lugans Dort, the player they've held on to through all four years of losing and is somehow still only 24 years old, but the player they held on to is an elite NBA defender. Still in his early 20s, which I still don't understand how that's possible. I uh, mentioned Isaiah Joe. Kaysen Wallace is a rookie who they're giving leeway to develop and grow. This Thunder team, and and of course you add in the generational player that made all the losing worth it, which is Chet Holmgren. The, The top of the draft, number one unicorn prospect who can be a true number two immediately and will develop into being a true legitimate all-star running mate with that superstar point guard once they get two, three years together down the road, assuming health, assuming good health, which we wish for good health for Chet Holmgren. The player that made the three years of losing worth it is now finally here and immediately being a rookie of the year caliber contributor, and you're seeing the results. You took a team last year that had no t- no chance of being any good except for Shea Gilgis Alexander carrying them to within one game of the playoffs to now you add a rookie of the year caliber player immediately former number 2 overall pick best prospect in the draft class drop him into the team 
drop Jalen Williams in with three years of development and look what he can become. And you see the Thunder team that actually has a chance of making a run in the playoffs. I'm so curious to see whether they stick it out, whether they stay healthy, and what the playoff run looks like. Because the Nuggets and Clippers are the two best teams in the West. But there's a chance that Oklahoma City is number three. And if Oklahoma City is number three, best team in the playoffs in the West, that guarantees them a first-round series win in the playoffs and a pretty damn good chance of winning a second-round series too. Or at the very least, at the very least, this Thunder team could give the NBA champion Denver Nuggets or this Clipper team filled with Hall of Famers that all are at their lowest usage rates of any point in their career and are actually playing really good team basketball with the four of them sacrificing egos for successes. That Thunder team could give either of them a run for their money. Because those are the two best teams in the West. The Nuggets and the Clippers, when playoffs roll around, will be the teams that are going to the Western Conference Finals unless they have to play each other in the second round. And if they do, the Thunder just might sneak through the back door to the conference finals and maybe give one of those teams a good run for their money. I believe in the baby Oklahoma City Thunder to be the exception that breaks the rule of teams this young and this good not being able to make it to the NBA Finals in their first year. Because remember what happened with all of these teams as time went on. The 2011 Oklahoma City Thunder went to the Finals the next year. The 2019 Denver Nuggets went to the Conference Finals the following year, won the NBA Finals three years later, in what was essentially their first healthy season post-making the conference finals, because Jamal Murray missed both of those playoff runs. The 2017-18 Boston Celtics came within one game of making the NBA Finals, made it to four conference finals in the following five years, and came within two games of winning the finals in 2022. The two exceptions are the Brandon Roy Portland Trailblazers, which injuries derailed that whole run for them, and the 2022 Memphis Grizzlies, which even then I'm willing to put a pin in it and say, let's wait to see what happens when they get healthy. Injuries derailed those two teams as time went on. The other four, they got a damn good chance of competing for a championship. And so... This year is the question. The future, we already know. Oklahoma City is going to be around for a while and going to be a problem for a while. But in the short term, can this baby Oklahoma City Thunder team get within one game of the finals, despite the fact that this group of teams has never played a playoff game together? I believe they can. They are the third best team in the West going into the playoffs. And I believe that that third best team in the West has a pretty damn good chance of making it deeper than any team this young has ever gone in the NBA playoffs. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday with occasional wired ups popping up all around our content and creativity that we have here 
Thank you so much for continuing to stop in. We appreciate all of your continued support. Five-star reviews, downloads, any and all are greatly, greatly appreciated. We are so greatly appreciative of you continuing to support this fine program that we do here. We will talk to you again tomorrow. I'm sorry, I guess we'll talk to you again on Wednesday. And in the meantime, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.